Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor of The Journal. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Tony Overy and Melissa Collett. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss the power of professional standards. I'm joined by Tony Overy, CEO of Saunderson House Limited, and Melissa Collett, Professional Standards Director at the CII. Here's my conversation with Tony and Melissa. Hello, Melissa, and hello, Tony, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Hi, very nice to be here. Hello, everyone. Very, very nice to have you both with us. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Melissa, when we uh, talk about professional standards, specifically in insurance and financial services, um, what do you mean? Yeah, I think when we talk about professional standards, we're talking about what makes someone a trusted practitioner. So, it's about having the knowledge, the skills, and the behaviors so that the public can trust you with the advice and the service you're giving, and also being held accountable for that by an independent body like the CII or the PFS. So it's it's the membership of that body, which means that the public can regard you as a trusted professional. And Tony, from your point of view, in terms of financial services and and from your firm's point of view, um, what what do you mean by professional standards? What do they mean to you? Yeah, so obviously I agree with what Melissa says, but I'd probably add and just take things back a little bit. And for me, I see as a standard that they should just be inherently ingrained in those people that want to work in financial services, integrity, openness, treating people fairly and doing the right thing. It's just something we should all have. And professional standards are are really important because as they show we've accrued the right level of knowledge to do our job, but also it shows that individuals demonstrating those right attitudes and right behaviours. But this also then comes down from the culture inside a business, which has to be driven from the top. And that's really important to ensure the framework is in place for that culture to drive those behaviours and also making sure you've got measures in place to monitor it. And when things aren't working, to call it out. So I think there are the standards and then there's this inherent culture and beliefs and behaviours, as Minister said about these behaviours, that are really, really important to ensure that you can follow follow those standards. That's a great overview. It's, um, yeah, and it's clear how close, closely linked professional standards and, and the culture of a, of a firm are. Melissa, the Chartered Insurance Institute recently completed the Shape in the Future Together consultation. A key area of that was around professional standards. Can you tell us what, uh, what that part of the consultation found? Yes, the consultation was very wide ranging and it asked members and stakeholders to comment on some proposals for the future around really all aspects of what the CII delivers for the profession, including professional standards. And and there was a strong feeling the members really wanted to um, see more done to sanction misconduct, and they wanted that to be more visible. They also felt that more should be done to promote the value of chartered. And that's something that really resonates and chimes with me um, because it's what we spend a lot of time doing at the CII is talking about the value of chartered. And I think the members and stakeholders also felt that 
actually the code of ethics is the CII's code of ethics is really strong and we have the chartered ethos as well. And we can do more with that um, rather than introduce new types of proposals and schemes. We can actually make more of what we already have. So I think that was the sort of key takeaways for me from the consultation and and really encouraging because it shows you that we've got a lot to offer and um, we just need to build on that. Absolutely. And Melissa, you mentioned chartered status there. The Chartered Insurance Institute also carry out now a chartered perception survey. Um, Can you tell us what that is and give us a little bit of a look into the most recent findings of the survey? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is something, again, that's that's really encouraging. And it's a survey that we started a, a few years ago with the Institute of Customer Service because we wanted something that was run by an independent organization that the members and the public could really trust in terms of the findings. So the survey goes out to 500 members of the public, as well as 500 small business owners, and ask them questions about the concept of chartered. What does it mean for them, chartered individuals and chartered firms? And it's it's quite a an extensive question set, which gives us a lot of rich data. And the most recent survey a few months ago found that in terms of whether a an individual or small business would choose a chartered firm over a non-chartered firm, 76% of those surveyed would choose a chartered firm. So that's that's actually seven percentage points higher than previous surveys that we've done in the past. And again, it's very encouraging to see that result because it shows that a high majority of people regard chartered status of a firm to be really important when choosing an advisor. That certainly is encouraging. Um, and Tony, back to you. Um, you're CEO of Saunderson House Financial Advisory. That is a chartered firm. Can you tell us about kind of your background, how you earn chartered status and how important that is to you in terms of professional standards? Yeah, well, I say, I, I first of all, I'll keep going back to this because I think it's really important. It's that culture first. Having a chartered status, unless you've got the right culture in a business to want to do things correctly, you know, you're, you're at a wrong starting point. So for me, that culture of putting people first and your stakeholders first, whether stakeholders, whether they be your clients, your customers, the regulator, that's really, really important. And if I just look at us as a business, I think we were probably one of the first UK firms to actually to get chartered status. It was, I can't remember, it was a long time ago. I've been here a, lot, a long time. Uh, and today, 93% of our advisors have charter status. And people then say, what about the other 7%? Well, the other 7% are just one exam away from achieving charter status. So to us, I think that hopefully demonstrates the importance we put on it, that we want to get all our advisors to that status. We'll have some more advisors coming through. And again, we will put them through through that, that, that same process. Uh, and for me, what it is, is um, it's a kite mark. So it demonstrates to our colleagues, to our clients, so to the regulator, that we see ourselves as professionals and we want to be recognized in that way. Now, it demonstrates that we're training our people to the highest standards and ensuring as well that they continue that through their through their annual CPD. But I think what is equally important to me with Chartered is not just about qualifications, it's about experience as well. 
Competent people can sit exams and pass them, but by having the charter status, it ensures they have experience and they put it into practice. So, so I've been around a, a, a long time. If I look back through the old days, often people crammed exams and in a very short period, they then went out and were selling to customers and they had no experience. They basically got a little certificate, off, out, out they went and they, they didn't have experience of different situations. And so chartered is about experience as well as qualifications. And so in a sum, in summary to me, you know, our corporate charter status is, is my sort of public declaration that we will follow professional standards. And you've obviously you've mentioned there, you know, how, how closely it's woven into the fabric of the, the firm. That's great to hear about the experience and the professionalism of almost everyone throughout the company. Um, you mentioned your customers as well. Is it something you very much lead with when you're talking to clients or potential clients and, and that can give them confidence? Yeah, it's like, so it's on our it's on our website. It's on our, on our on our uh, collateral when we're talking to clients. It's it's, it's a lot of our clients. Uh, we built our business serving professionals, so lawyers and accountants. So they they recognise it. They are, they have you know, accountants have charter status, so they they recognise that as that mark of quality, education, and and high levels of standards. So it's important. I think it has helped us grow our business, particularly in an environment with very demanding demanding clients that, that recognise what it is to, to be a professional. Um, Melissa, we've spoken about how important professionalism is and how important ethics are in a profession like insurance or like financial services. So what about those firms that aren't reaching those standards if there are rules broken or they act against these the code of ethics? I mean, how can other professionals be confident that they're dealt with uh, effectively? Yeah, so in common with other professional bodies, we have a disciplinary process and our rules and process are published on our website. You can look it up via our professional standards page. And so in common with other bodies, we also have an independent set of people, some lawyers, some non-lawyers, some members as well, who sit on our independent review pool who has ultimate oversight over our disciplinary process from an independent point of view. So we feel that when a complaint is made, we always take it seriously. A complaint about a member will go through a process, as I mentioned. um, And the average number of complaints we receive a year, it's around the 200 mark. So we have a team of people here who who investigate those complaints and decide whether you know they they are valid and whether a sanction should be imposed and where a sanction is imposed. We always publish that on our website unless there are uh, extenuating circumstances which fit into our procedural rules. And um, with regard to chartered firms, we have a contractual agreement with all of our chartered firms that they abide by our terms and conditions and, and corporate chartered status rules. And so all firms have an obligation to keep us informed and cooperate and let us know if there's been any changes, for example, that affect their eligibility. So we have also our annual renewal, which gives firms a chance to share all their information with us again, and we can check that they're still eligible. But obviously throughout the year, we monitor firms through the FCA website and other 
sources of information and intelligence. We also communicate with our charter firms and they communicate with us. So we keep an eye on things from that perspective, monitor the situation and where there are concerns about whether a firm is still eligible, then we will take action. And again, we have a process whereby complaints can be made, formal complaints can be made against chartered firms. But a lot of times what we end up with is a lot of informal um, issues and escalations that we deal with on a regular basis. And normally we can resolve things with explaining to firms, you know, well, actually, this is the proper way of using your logo or describing yourself, or you need to take this particular action. And normally things can be resolved in that way. Absolutely. And and Tony, from a, a firm's point of view, how important is it that um, individuals or, or companies that violate these rules don't damage the overall reputation of, of financial services? Well, gosh, no, it's incredibly important. And as I mentioned to Melissa, when we were talking earlier on, I joined his industry in 1984. And I've seen massive changes uh, in the industry, particularly, you know, it's, it's a bit of a wild west at times. Um, but what we're seeing is a huge amount of increased protection for our, for our customers. We've seen a huge level of increase in education for our advisors. And also, you know, those that maybe shouldn't have been in now aren't in the industry, which is great, great to see. And I think we're left with an industry that has taken time to build trust with, with, with our customers. But we all know how quickly that trust is lost. And it doesn't take much for just um, a little bit of inappropriate conduct here and there to have the industry tarred with that same brush. And once that happened, you then go back to square one and you're building that trust again. So incredibly important that when we see uh, wrong behaviours that is, that is dealt with, and as an industry, we, we show, you know, show the customers we are dealing with it uh, and so they can so have that trust that when it doesn't, when it, when something goes wrong, we're going to pick it up and deal with it, and we won't won't allow it to happen, because you know, so trust is one of the most important things we have. Uh, our, our customers trust us to look after them, uh, and they want to know that anything that's wrong is being dealt with. So very, very, very important. Excellent. And uh, Melissa, we mentioned the uh, Shaping the Future Together consultation, which the CII recently completed. How will the CII be using those findings um, in the future? What can we expect? So we had really rich feedback from the consultation. It was wide ranging. It covered loads of topics. And so this is going to be really helping us to take things forward in terms of creating our new five-year strategy. We're going to be building on the feedback we received in the consultation. It's going to really inform how we take things forward based on what our members and stakeholders want us to do. So I want to just thank everyone who took part and just reassure them that we We've listened and we've heard what what you have to say and we're grateful for your input and we're going to take that forward. Excellent. And and where would you direct listeners to find out more about consultation findings or what the CII are doing in the future? I would encourage anybody who'd like to know more to look at our website. We've published our consultation feedback on the website. And we've also, I mentioned our professional standards page where there's a wealth of information about our disciplinary process, our code of ethics, and lots of our code of ethics guidance, which we've really developed that over the past few years. We've got our digital ethics companion, our transparency companion, and many other forms of guidance and materials 
materials to help practitioners really put the ethical codes into practice. Well, thank you, Melissa. And thank you, Tony. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today on the podcast. I mean, trust is something that that obviously needs to be built, but also maintained. And it's it's so encouraging and reassuring to, to hear about the great work that's being done around that. So, so thank you, Tony. And thank you, Melissa, for, for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. And thank you very much for listening. Um, if you'd like to find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts, or you can follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, thank you for listening to CII Radio and goodbye. <laughs>